What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. My name's Bryce, I'm one of the pastors, and I'll just be leading us around God's Word for the next few minutes, but how, uh, how creative was that? I had so, many, uh, latent, so much latent talent and skill there amongst the uh, pastoral team, so um, that was really something. Uh, some people have um, been wondering about Steve, why Steve is here this morning when we've got the Gold Coast 500 happening. I just up the road, but Steve will be leaving to that, uh, to be the chaplain there at the V8s just shortly after the service. And how good has this service been so far, hey? As um, we've just been through communion, uh, having Ruby's baptism as well. So exciting to see someone continuing to take you know, steps of faith. Um, it's a, such an encouraging thing to see. Why don't we just uh, quiet our hearts. We'll just come before the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us in prayer now. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for this time Lord, this sacred space that we have in our week, where we can come together together to celebrate, uh, to worship, to seek you. And uh, so, Lord, we just pray that we would hear from you this morning, that you'd quiet our hearts, that you would guide us and lead us, Father. We just want to uh, commit these next few minutes to you, and we just pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So we're preaching through 1 Corinthians, and it's fair to say that it's been a pretty interesting ride so far this year as we've been doing that. We looked at tongues last week, and today we're looking at prophecy. I'll start with this story. Recently, our staff and our governance team members and spouses attended a retreat at Kenmore Church of Christ. And one of the activities we had was to write ourselves a letter. So we'd had lots of different sessions happening at the retreat. And so we wrote ourselves a letter saying the things that we'd been getting out of it. And then we put it, folded it up, put it in an envelope, took it to the front and put it in a box. And the idea was that was going to get posted back to us in six months' time. What were some things that we were sort of trusting God for, that we wanted to say to our future self from things we'd been learning at the retreat? So no one else had seen them, we just put them in the box. And then there was an opportunity for us to go to the front, there was a line of people there and we could sort of uh, join that um, and receive prayer from these people who were at the front there, they just wanted to bless us and just to pray for us. And so just in our group alone, there was many different groups of people, just in our group alone, one of our people said that the first person to pray for them prayed through everything on their letter, every single item. And they were really encouraged. Another one of our people said that every single person that they prayed with prayed a different element of what was in their letter. And no one had seen these letters. They had been folded up and they were in that box. And then when those people came and told us and the rest of the, the group, we were all encouraged because we knew that no one else could have known those things. It just showed that God saw them, He cared for them, He loved them, He was with them. 
Now, I would say this is the gift of prophecy at work, where a revelation was received and the speak, it was spoken in love to the people and they were encouraged. And so today we're looking at prophecy and as we're going through 1 Corinthians, the reason why the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy take up so much space is because the church there in Corinth wasn't really doing these things properly. They were overemphasizing tongues and then on the other hand, they were under-emphasizing this spiritual gift of prophecy. And that was a problem because God wants his people to be strengthened and encouraged. That's our big idea for today. God wants his people to be strengthened and encouraged. And a, a way that he's going to do that, a big part of it, is through the spiritual gift of prophecy as we read about it in 1 Corinthians. As uh, Steve Peach said last week, as we're going through this series, particularly as we're looking at these uh, spiritual gifts, there's a couple of things that we really want for you. Now, maybe it is for you, you haven't had a lot of exposure or experience to seeing these gifts in operation in a local church. And if that's you, it's our hope that uh, as a result of these uh, couple of messages from us, that you'll be a little bit more open to seeing these gifts being in operation today in our church. But maybe for you, if you have actually received these gifts yourself, tongues or prophecy, we want you to know that we see you, that there's a place here for you. We recognize God's doing something in your life, and we hope that this can be a place of life here for you at Southport Church of Christ. So as we're talking about prophecy, right from the get-go, I think it's important for us to recognize that the way that we see um, prophecy talked about in the Old Testament is quite different than how we see it in the New Testament. If you're a scholar of God's Word, if you read it, then when you open up the Bible and you read about prophecy in the Old Testament, you half expect to see someone in a robe, you know, coming out from the desert, declaring, thus saith the Lord, and people have to obey it without question. That's the Old Testament sort of understanding of prophecy. But when we look in 1 Corinthians, there's a really different um, picture which is going on there. So in the Old Testament, prophecy was seen as God's Word. It was authoritative on the level of Scripture. And uh, yet, when we look at the New Testament, it's not authoritative in this way because it can contain the speaker's own interpretation and application of that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. In the Old Testament, a person would get a message directly from God. And it wasn't open for any discussion or debate. You just had to do what was said. Otherwise, there would be dire consequences. But in the New Testament, when a person receives a revelation from God, they share it. And then the community is to weigh up the words. They to test it to see if they want to accept what is being said. Now, in the Old Testament, if a prophet said something, declared something, and it turned out to be false... The requirement is that you were to take them out the back and the community was to stone them to death. That's in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the requirement is, is the community weighs it up and tests it. But if it's not accepted, there's no requirement for discipline from the church. Uh, maybe the person doesn't really have the gift of prophecy like they think they do. But the church decides on that. So there's some couple of interesting differences just from the get-go about the Old Testament and the New Testament talking about prophecy. So what is the point of prophecy in the church? Well, if you've got your Bible, you're welcome to turn to 1 Corinthians 14. We'll also have the um, slides up behind me. So verse 1 says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And verse 3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, 
and comfort. So prophecy has a certain emphasis, doesn't it? We can see it in this verse. There's strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So what are these things talking about? Strengthening literally means to build up. Edification, that's what building up means, to edify. Um, Another way to describe building up people is to make them more able, more able in their Christian life, in their walk with God, uh, to be more confident in their faith, to live out this Christian faith in community and in the world. Think about what it means for Christians to be made more able. Prophecy is to help them to do that. But any prophecy which tears people down, that's to be rejected because it's just for the purpose of strengthening, building up. So the one who prophesies speaks for their strengthening, their encouragement. So this is the same word used actually as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Greek word paraclete, um, para, the uh, paraclete, whereas here the word is paraclesis. So it's the same thing, one called in alongside to help, to support, to assist. That's what prophecy is meant to do. Um, so we would translate what the Holy Spirit does as being a helper, a counsellor, an advocate. Prophecy is described as doing that same kind of thing, coming alongside to help and support. And also it says to comfort. Now this is the idea of whispering in somebody's ear words of consolation for a weary soul. That's the idea of that. So declaring or making a, known a revelation from God isn't a, a demanding kind of thing, um, but it is gentle, it's peaceful, it's comforting as we try and encourage and strengthen someone who's struggling. That's the, what, how God's heart is described for his people. When the gift of prophecy is used, there'll be strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Each of these spiritual gifts uh, just shows us a little facet about God and who he is, what he's like, And so when we consider the gift of prophecy and for these things to be the result of it, who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? Where it's all about strengthening and encouraging and comforting. If these three areas are the impact of the gift of prophecy on a church, then no wonder Paul wants every Christian to desire to be eager to prophesy. So what is prophecy? Well, let's look at the verses in 1 Corinthians 14 which relate directly to that. It's from verse 6, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good would I be to you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So I was talking about some different aspects here, and I would, as we think about these words, I would say that they're all very similar synonymous and uh, so firstly it talks off what good will I be to you unless I bring to you some revelation now this word's also used in verse 26 and verse 30 so declaring a revelation is what prophecy is all about a revelation is something which is hidden which isn't known but which is then made known is disclosed Um, it means to fully reveal a matter and so as I read through 1 Corinthians 14 It seems that for those who have the gift of prophecy, God brings spontaneously to mind a revelation, uh, which is meant to encourage and strengthen, not for themselves, but other people in the community. And they declare it in their own words. So just as a little image here, uh, someone receives a revelation, and then they declare the prophecy. Now, prophecy just means to, to speak forth or to declare or to proclaim or to make known. 
So this is what we're talking about here. And Paul's referring to something which God might bring some, suddenly to mind to somebody, maybe impress it on their consciousness a certain way. So the person senses that it's come from God. And it might be that thought is surprisingly distinct from other things that they'd been thinking about at the time, their own train of thought. Maybe it's accompanied with a vividness or an urgency or a persistence or some other way that it's clear that it's come from God. It could be a mental picture, perhaps. It could be through a dream or through a vision. Acts 2, verses 17 to 18 says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So talking about the church age, Every, all the time from the, the resurrection of Jesus right through is described as the last days. And so Donna and I have actually been led a couple of times by dreams in, um, that we, either we have had or other people have had for us over the years. So prophecy, part of it is a revelation, declaring it. It goes on to call it by other words, such as knowledge and a word of instruction. Uh, verse 19 also says prophecy is given to instruct others. So there's a bit of a link here between prophecy and teaching. Maybe, maybe teaching is that considered um, conscious reflection on the scripture and then applying it to daily life, whereas prophecy is a sudden kind of spontaneous receiving of a revelation which is given. The well-known pastor and author, John Piper, he, he says that he often prays this prayer before he gets up to preach. He says, Lord, bring to my mind truths about yourself and about this text and about this people that I'll be able to say in such a way that they will pierce with prophetic power into their lives. And the article I got that quote from actually talked about stories where he has been given insight to speak specific things that only people in the congregation knew about and he didn't know about. Spurgeon also had similar experiences with all the preaching that he had done with being given specific insight into people's lives. In 1 Corinthians 14, from verse 24, it says this, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So Paul says that part of prophecy could be actually convicting people of sin. Actually laying bare the secrets of their heart. There would need to be some kind of revelation to be able to have that insight to speak into pe people's personal situation. But I've heard a report of this exact same thing happening. I'm sure it's happened many times. This happened in a non-charismatic church. A missionary was speaking um, about their experience out on the field. And as they were sharing with the congregation, they paused right in the middle of their talk and they said something like this. They said, I didn't plan to say this, but it seems the Lord is indicating that someone in this church has just walked out on his wife and family. If that is so, let me tell you that God wants you to return to them and learn to follow God's pattern for your life. And the missionary didn't know it, but in one of the balconies, which was not lighted, uh, just above him there, sat a man who had just entered the church a few moments before for the first time in his life. And that description fitted him perfectly. And so after the meeting, he made himself known. He acknowledged what was going on in his life and began to seek after God. How is it encouraging, though, to declare someone's sin back to themselves if prophecy is meant to be for encouraging and comforting? Well, 
you know, to, to lay bare people's secrets. Isn't that a bit negative? Well, Paul tells us that God is okay with this, that in this um, seeking to strengthen the church, to edify and build up the church, sometimes part of it is going to convict people of sin. It's going to lay the secrets of others bare, and they will um, be presented with that. Prophecy might have to tell the truth at times. But there is an invitation there, isn't there? The hope that they will be willing to take the truth on board and go on with God to a better day. Now, for some here today, as you're hearing all that I'm saying, I'm just saying exactly what the Bible says, okay? You might be thinking that these promptings from God are just too subjective. It's too based in experience. And you don't trust anything to do with experience in the Christian life. We just need to focus on doctrine. That's it. It's okay just to have an intellectual and an objective kind of faith. It's all you're interested in. But is it possible that what we need in our churches and in our lives is this balancing side of a subjective aspect to our faith in our relationship with the Lord? I mean, don't we sing the song, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Don't we sing that and don't crack up about that hymn? Now, the Holy Spirit literally lives within us. And Paul valued this gift of prophecy so highly. Think back in verse 1 of this chapter. It says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then right at the end of the chapter in verse 39, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. So if Paul was eager for this gift of prophecy to function in a church, a church like Corinth that had all of its divisions and problems, uh, troubled by spiritual immaturity and selfishness, if Paul was eager for prophecy to happen there, it stands to reason that we should be open to this gift at Southport Church of Christ as well. So what does that look like in practice? Verse 29 goes on to say this, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So two to three people should speak. Now, Paul didn't have in mind at all this kind of a setting. It's helpful for us to recognize that. 300 people in a room. There were no purpose-built churches in those days. People met in homes where there might have been 30 to 40 people max crammed into a small space. But even with those smaller numbers, Paul was putting solid limits on how many prophets should speak. Two at the most three. That's how many should, should, uh, should speak. And then if a second person gets a revelation, the first person should stop. Just thinking about the mechanics of that for a second, I've thought about that and thought, if everyone can, should speak in turn, then why does the first speaker have to stop? I mean, if they're going through their revelation and then a second one gets up to speak, that first speaker's revelation could be lost forever. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? There's a second per- and wouldn't it be better if the first person gets to finish and then in turn, the second, this was just what I was thinking as I was reading through this, what's, what's going on here? I think what Paul is saying is, it's not going to take a long time to say the message. You don't have to use up all the oxygen in the room. You don't have to completely dominate the meeting. And if the second person gets a revelation, that's an opportunity for the first person to be silenced, to shut up and to stop saying what they're, what they're saying. So they're, they're not dominating the meeting. But it's also, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul is not viewing prophecies as authoritative like Scripture is. 
Because if that first person stops, their revelation could be lost forever. Paul's not concerned about that at all. Let the second person speak. He's not concerned it might be lost because it's not on the same line as Scripture and God can get his message across if he wants to. Now what we're doing when we come together in a big formal setting like this, 300 people or more in a room, is we come together to celebrate. We're celebrating all the small groups coming together, we're worshipping God, we're coming together for communion, to pray, to teach, all of these good things. But if Paul limited only two to three people to share in a group of only 30 or 40, then in a group this size, it would probably be quite apart from the norm to actually have prophecies being brought and shared from the front in this kind of a setting. Now, if you do believe that God has given you something to share, then, of course, we'd be quite happy to hear it. But what we'd ask is that you would come and speak to Steve or myself or whoever's in charge of the service so that we can hear it, we can weigh it up, we can maybe talk to the elders about it as well and consider it. It could be that prophecy relates much more neatly to our small groups or other prayer gatherings that we would have here at the church. You think about how God might already be doing this in our community. Times when you might be gathering with people to pray or in a small group and someone has that impression of a certain scripture that they should share or something that the group should pray for. I've known churches where some of their small groups will actually have a quiet time where they will just sit in silence and wait on God to see if someone does get something to share with the group. If something comes through like an image or something like that, they can take time to assess that, see if there's confirmation to share it. The group can weigh it up, that kind of thing. I don't think that prophecy is just meant to be a platform gift on Sundays. Because you think of all the other spiritual gifts. Most of them are expressed outside of these four walls, outside of this little window of the week. You think of hospitality, mercy, serving, administration, leadership. A lot of these things happen out there throughout the week. Even aspects like teaching... Well, tongues have an aspect which is done outside of, of church services. And so prophecy could be just as seen in the courtyard after the service or in the car park or when you've got some people over your house for a meal or something like that, not just here in church. Now, do prophecies compete with what we have in Scripture? Absolutely not. In all of this, we would affirm the Bible as being our authority, ultimate authority, and the place we go to hear the very words of God. And we don't need to consult with a prophet before we make decisions, because it's God's business about how he touches people to give them a revelation. We don't treat people um, as uh, they would in the time of the New Testament. They'd go to visit a prophet, and then that person would ask the God to give them a message. We don't treat people like that. It's up to God to decide if he's going to give someone a message or not. We also don't come to a church service expecting a prophecy is going to be the highlight of our time together. But God has included the gift of prophecy for a reason. 1 Thessalonians 5, from verse 19, says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. So what do you quench? You quench a fire, don't you? And it's possible for that fire of the Holy Spirit or that power or influence of the Holy Spirit in a community to be quenched by the attitude of the people within it. Now, how might they quench the Holy Spirit's operation? Well, it tells us right there in the context. By treating prophecies with contempt. 
How would we treat prophecies with contempt? By not allowing them in the first place? By maybe saying they are from the devil? By uh, maybe our own pride and not allowing other people to speak into our life? Yes, the Word of God it equips us for every good work. Second Timothy says that. But are we willing to listen if God chooses to speak to us in an uncommon way, in a different way than we might choose for ourselves, a way that we don't expect? Some people may have misused prophecy in the past, using it as a manipulative tool to say, God told me this, therefore you have to do that. And that's a tragedy. But... While some people might have misused it, why slam the door shut against any possibility that God might want to do it in a legitimate way? Now, I wonder for you, would you be willing to receive a revelation from God, even if it's brought through somebody else? Is it possible that you could treat prophecies with contempt, going against what the Bible clearly says about this, and quenching the Spirit of God in the process? So how are we to test prophecy? Because this is important, right? People just don't get to say whatever they want. We are to test it. So if you've got paper and pen, now would be a good time to take some notes. You can take a photo of the screen or you can email me later and I can send these notes to you. It says here in verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And so here at SEC, we've had to weigh prophecy at times as people have uh, brought things to the elders over the past few years. So these aren't necessarily in order. Is it in accordance with the faith? Romans 12 verse 6 says, uh, If a person's gift is prophecy, let them practice that in accordance with the faith. So in accordance with the scripture and what we know about the Christian life. It should line up with that. If someone thinks that they've been given the inside track on when Jesus is coming back and they've got the specific date for that, you know you can just reject that because not even Jesus knows when he's returning. So it has to line up with scripture. Does it glorify Jesus? There's some verses there which talk about uh, how the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to affirm Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah who is to come, that he is the Lord. So no prophecy will deny that. Is this going to be useful for strengthening and building up the church? Or building up somebody? It's always a great thing to do. This is God's heart for his people, remember? Does this revelation promote order and clarity? Or is it bringing more confusion? Is the speaker in control of themselves? So according to how Paul was talking, the person should be able to stop if there's another speaker. Also, are they willing to um, submit to other people assessing the things that they've said? Are they willing to submit to the judgment of others? No one has the authority to say, God told me this and so you must do that. Does the speaker exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their life? If it's the Holy Spirit of God, which is actually empowering this person to speak this, then surely you would see the fruit in their life, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all of those things as well. If you don't see those things being evident in their life, why should you think the Holy Spirit now has this freedom to flow through their life? Also, for you, if you've received a prophecy and a revelation and you're thinking you should share it, are you sharing it in love? Are you doing this yourself? And what do discerning people, or those who have the gift of discerning spirits, say about this? Special people who um, may be able to have that insight as to the source of a revelation. So with all of these things here, 
there is a, a little disclaimer you may have heard that when it comes to testing, hearing prophecies, no births, no deaths, no dates, no mates. So what's this saying is no births, no, no prophesying, like yes, you're going to have a, a child and this is the date that's happened, it's going to be a boy or a girl and so forth. No deaths, on, okay, sorry to tell you this, but on this day you're going to die, God has shown me, or your husband or your wife or someone's going to die, things like that. No dates, uh, no mates, yeah, you're going to marry this person or that person's going to marry that person. It can be really unsettling and upsetting if a person shares a prophecy and it's not quite right. You've, you've shared something or someone's shared something with you and then it doesn't come to pass. This might be hard to believe, but we have those kind of things come to the leadership here at Southport from time to time. Uh, there have been people that have we've, we've been told that such and such will marry so-and-so and didn't happen. And they can't because they both ended up marrying different people. We, we've literally had... Um, someone say that God was going to take the life of one of our pastoral staff on a certain date. Of course, it didn't come true. That's why we test these things. Not everyone's coming from a place of love. Maybe not everyone's coming from something that's been revealed from the Holy Spirit, so we test it. That's what we do. We need to weigh prophecies. Here's an example of the early church wrestling with a prophecy. Okay, so I'm reading from Acts 21, just to show you what some of the dynamics of this can look like. So a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, that's Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, this is Luke writing, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So the church heard this revelation that Paul was going to be captured when he got to Jerusalem. And they interpreted it in a certain way. That if he was going to be captured, of course it could never possibly be God's will that that happened, so they needed to stop that on all terms. It cannot happen. But for Paul, he already knew about this. Acts 20 from verse 22 says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. So the church and Paul had heard the same message. But for Paul, it wasn't a warning. It was the very plan and purpose that God had for him. It seems the church heard the same revelation, but they misinterpreted and then misapplied what this was actually meaning to be. So Paul saw it as a confirmation. They saw it as a warning. That's why we weigh prophecies. We test them. We weigh them up. And Paul didn't get mad at them. We read there as well. Here's a couple of examples just to finish. Back in uh, 2013, I was uh, concluding my ministry at Bundaberg Church of Christ. Uh, a door was opening for ministry for me at the Cloundra Church of Christ, just down the road. And so I remember the morning where I was driving down to Cloundra for a second interview. And for whatever reason, I just felt really stressed. I was just out of sorts that day. We were, we were certainly committing it to God and wanting to follow where he was leading, but just felt a bit yuck, a bit out of sorts. And on the way, in the car, I received a phone call from a pastor friend of mine who was out west. I hadn't spoken to him for six or eight months, something like that. He didn't know what was going on in my life, and certainly not on, on that day. And he rang to say that I was on his heart and that I should know that I was God's man and that God was guiding, going to use me in the next thing he had for me. How cool was that? That was so encouraging that God was basically saying, I'd see you. I know what's happening. It's okay. I'm with you, I've got this. 
It's what the spiritual gift of prophecy is all about, declaring or proclaiming a revelation from God that's going to build up and strengthen and encourage his people. It doesn't have to take place in a church service. Here's another one. A few weeks ago, someone here in our SCC church community got a message through Facebook Messenger from a friend from a friend. So they weren't directly connected to the person in the church. They didn't know what was going on in their life. The person messaged them out of the blue saying, I just had a glimpse of something that I believe the Lord is wanting to speak to you about. It's a glimpse of a new direction. It'll be unfamiliar. It'll be uncomfortable. But you do have what it takes to pursue this new initiative and direction. And so the person here at SEC wondered, what on earth is that about? I have no idea. Um, they just held it lightly because they weren't exactly sure what that was going to be. And then just last week, that person was asked to step up into a higher role at their workplace, a role that wasn't expected to be vacant, but that already received this confirmation from God. Now, in both of these examples, it's clear the message came from God. He was saying, I'm with you, I see you, people talking about things that they had no idea of what was going on in the person's life. The question is, why would God use someone else? Why wouldn't he just talk to the person directly? God could have just told me directly as I was driving in the car or told that other person directly. Why would he have to use a third, a third party? Well, I think it's because he wants, to, he wants to use each of us and using our gifts to be a blessing to each other. As we do that in love, the whole church is built up and is strengthened. So as I close here, prophecy is offering... It's, it's um, supporting what the, the Scriptures say. It's not coming up with something in addition to the Scripture, like it's improving on the Bible. Rather, the Bible says what prophecy is, it's just a spiritual gift that God is giving to the church. As these stories demonstrate, prophecy provides an encouragement to the one who says it, and to the one who receives it, and it gives God's people an experience of his presence with them. It helps us to see that God does indeed know us intimately. As Psalm 139 says, he knows when we sit, he knows when we rise, he perceives our thoughts from afar, before words even on our tongue, he knows it completely. Well, I wonder for you if God has brought something to mind that you need to talk to him about. I'd like us just to take a few moments just to be alone with the Lord in our thoughts and then I'll close this time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we recognise as our Heavenly Father, Lord, that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We don't understand the way that you operate in our lives sometimes. Um, But Lord, we thank you that you are good, you're holy, that you love us and desire for your people to be strengthened and build up and comforted. So, Lord, I pray you would just continue to give us insight, wisdom as to the truth of the operation of prophecy here at Southport and in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your leading, uh, that whatever gift we've received, that we would make that open for you to use, Lord. And uh, we just pray, Father, just for our community, our church community here, Lord, that you would uh, just continue to guide us and lead us in your ways. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll hand over to the music team. Thanks.